Okay, here we go. All right. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Nefesh podcast. And I am so excited to have a friend of mine, uh, Sarah Whitehurst, on uh, this episode talking about her own journey in ministry. She's a missionary to Thailand, and I'm really excited that she's going to be giving me an update, giving maybe others an update of where what, what it's been like. Uh, you were there over in the pandemic, and so that that would have been a whole other uh, experience, but I'm really excited for you to be here and for you to share your story. So welcome. Thank you. It's, it's an honor to be here. So um, now we've known each other for a few years. You were uh, taking some classes with the uh, Southern California School of Ministry with the Assemblies mm. of God. And uh, I, one of the first things that I remember about you in just kind of the initial meetings was just how passionate, how uh, hungry you were for more of, of studying the Bible, more of knowing God's word and your heart for ministry just came across so powerfully. And it's been exciting to be on this journey with you and see, um, you know, all the not exciting to see the struggles, but, you know, it, it kind of seeing how you've managed to navigate it and how God has provided over these last few years. But why don't you begin just by telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, I know you're from you're from the Bakersfield area, right? In California. Um, well, I'm originally from Tucson, but I grew up right. in Bakersfield. Okay. Um, so yeah. technically, yeah. But um, I'm the oldest of six. I have 16 nieces and nephews. Wow. I'm happily single unless the Lord wants to change that, which I would be happy for him to do so. Um, but unless or until that happens, you know, my life, I can just spend my time, money, efforts in, in serving the Lord. And um, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. So your calling to ministry, I mean, I know you've, you originally, you felt a passion. I don't know if you probably still do a bit to Africa, wasn't it? And you initially did ministry there, and then it kind of switched on you. Um, take us through that that process, that journey. When do you when did you feel like you were called to vocational missions or vocational ministry? Um, it was quite the process. It was about a ten year process. Um, I'm a slow learner, apparently, <laughs> but uh, I was the kid that I couldn't be away from my mom. Or my sister, you know, I had to have one of them with me to do anything. And um, when I was 21, I went on my first mission trip. It was to the Philippines. It was a two week trip, but that it just changed my life forever. Um, that led to several more short term trips. And then in 2006, at 26 years old, was the first time I did something without my mom or my sister or a best friend. And I went to Swaziland, it's called Eswatini now in, in Southern Africa. And um, that was where the Lord called me to be. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew I was going to be a missionary. Like before that, I knew like I would do short-term trips, you know, here and there, but that's when he called me to be a missionary. 
And so during um, those during those short term trips, was it was it was there something kind of stirring in you? So you felt really the confirmed call at at twenty six. But prior to that, mm-hmm. were there on all these trips? Were you just kind of going, maybe not sure what was going on, but what was taking place inside you? Uh, well, my first trip to the Philippines, we went to an island called Piatus, and there is like a dump there where people live. Wow. And I couldn't unsee that. You know, I I couldn't disconnect from that and come back to America and and not, you know, think about that. You know, like it it changed my life forever. And it started me thinking of like, okay, how can I do something about these people that are living just in a poverty that I just had no idea even existed in this mm. world, you know? Um, and I'd gone to Mexico a few times. Um, but yeah, it was just like, there was a need that I didn't know existed. And I was trying to figure out how to, how to meet that need. And especially in country, well, it, uh, those of us who um, are kind of from the Southern California area may have had opportunities to go across the border into Mexico it is it's it is a completely different just it is different i mean it's night and day from one side of the border to the other and you see yeah. similar in mexico i remember um a couple of mission strip down there being gripped by the same a similar thing like these people are living in abject squalor uh, in mm-hmm. in dump or trash heaps and and they and the the need is almost overwhelming I know that it, at least that's what it, it felt like for me like how in the world do we do we help these people so for you it's it's kind of the maybe the eyes opening to to what other people are experiencing around the world so you know I I just picture you almost like being on missions trip after missions trip in that first part of your life was it kind of like that like it just continued uh, like this passion, this desire to to minister to people, was it just growing inside you? Yes, um, but at that time, it was very much from an American standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like these people need clothes and shoes, so I have to give that to them, mm-hmm. or they need blankets, I need to give that to them. Um, rather than what's causing them to not be able to afford these things, right. you know, and looking at the, the deeper issue, do they need education so that they can break cycles of poverty or, you know, like just reassessing the need or looking a little bit deeper at the need at, at that time, it was very much just these physical needs have physical solutions, you know, and, and how do I, like when we went to Mexico, we bring blankets and clothes and, and things like that. And it's really, there is a, there is a movement today that is uh, really beginning to understand that and dive deeper into that. And which I really appreciate because it's not that, that you or others, or we're saying that that stuff isn't needed, but that has been the, like you said, the American response, kind of a quick initial, let me just give them blankets. And then the next year I'll come and bring them back another blanket instead of helping them to make their own blanket or, or find way, right. ways out of that. And um, mm-hmm. I think there's one uh, movement called the poverty cure um, that I years ago was introduced to. 
And so things like that, which really delve deeper into the whole person and how we can help them rather than just in that moment, give them something. Mm -hmm. And I also learned later when I was with Convoy of Hope that if we take, you know, hundreds of t-shirts to different countries, what does that do for the textile industry there? Yes. You know, rather than how do we maybe buy from what's already available in country and then, you know, like that just helps more Absolutely. all around. That's so good. Yeah. 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 So then in at 26, you're in in South Africa and you felt like that was what God called you to do. How did you was it a what is it a response where you felt like, OK, I get this. I know what I need to do. Here we go. Or was it um, was there were there any like emotions and the fear, anxiety involved with all that? Um, it was a lot. Uh, well, he's never done this before or since, but while I was there, I just felt prompted to read Isaiah 55, five, and I should have it memorized, <laughs> but in that scripture, it talks about, you know, you'll go to nations that you don't know. Wow. And I was like, that's pretty clear. <laughs> mm. Um, but I was still like, oh, I'll just be doing more short-term trips. Like I knew like it was always going to be part of my life after that. I didn't know what it would look like. Right. Um, about a year later, I became a school bus driver and I was like, oh, I'll work during the school year, do trips in the summer. Sure. I've got it figured out, you know? And then after one school year, the California dish, they, uh, Bakersfield extended the walking distance so they laid off like 20 or 30 drivers. Wow. And I was like, so that wasn't the plan. It's <laughs> uh, like, man, Lord, I thought I had this figured out, you know, but that wasn't it at all. Well, and for somebody you, you know, you described yourself at the beginning is, you know, you always went somebody somewhere with your mom or your sister, you're super, you're super close to them. And so to be stretched to out of that comfort zone to now, I mean, I remember a few years ago, you were itching to get back. You could not yeah. wait to get back. You, It was like you were doing everything that you could to get everything you needed to go back. That's a, that's a mm -hmm. shift, right? From even just yeah. your comfort zone. But it sounds like it became, uh, again, just a passion and a desire that superseded everything else. Oh, absolutely. This is not, I thought I was, God created me to be a mother and a wife mm. by the time I was 25 and I'm about to be 43. So this calling that he's put on my life, like I can't ignore it. Yeah. Like I just, I couldn't lay that aside just like to pursue the things that I thought I wanted, yeah. you know? Yeah. So take us from that moment in, you know, at 26 in Swaziland um take us through that journey and the process of what that looked like from there what were the steps what did you do next um well just like the lord knew his calling for me and i knew it satan figured it out too at that mm -hmm. same time um and after that trip i had moved in with some friends from church and uh, started drinking with my church mm. friends because if it's with your church friends, it's not bad. Right. right of course. <laughs> um, but that led to about two or three years of just living a life that didn't honor the Lord. Mm. And I was doing things that the world promises, this will make you happy. This wow. will give you freedom. This, you know, and it's like, the more I did it, 
the more I um, hated myself. I'm like, this is not making me happy. Like, maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe I need to do more of it. Um, so I spent two or three years just um, not living for the Lord. Wow. And that got to where uh, one night I'd been drinking a lot and I was laying in bed and I was like, I don't want to live anymore. Mm. But even in that state of mind, I knew that God could thwart my efforts. Like I still revered his sovereignty. And I was like, okay, God, you know, just don't let me wake up unless you can use me. And um, when I woke up the next morning, I knew grace, like for the first time, like I fully understood it. And um, from that time on, I was like, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, like, I'll do that. Wow. And, um, and about a year later is when I went to Kenya with Convoy of Hope. And then a year after that, I started full-time missions. Wow. I, yeah. What it, what a challenging experience and yet what a miraculous encounter with God, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the idea that the night before you're ready to end it all and yet are, are still holding on to something, still holding on to mm-hmm. God in some way. And the very next morning, everything has changed. Your outlook has changed The feeling that feeling of grace. How has that same feeling helped you through all of these years and the challenges has that been present like that the reminder of that moment yeah um i always like to joke but mostly serious that my natural gifting sarcasm and being socially awkward (laughs) um but my mom raised me from before i could even read i had colossians 320 memorized children obey your parents in all things for this is well pleasing unto the lord So from a very young age, I was trained to be obedient. And Mm -hmm. that's what I have. Like, that's all that I have Mm -hmm. um, to give back to the Lord is my obedience. And um, like I said, it took several years, about a decade for for me to realize like, oh, this is my calling is to be a missionary. Um, And I can't not obey the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm not always perfect at it, but there's just something in me that I I can't walk away from what he's calling me to do. Yeah. So I first went as an intern. Uh, They had a fall. It was like a three month internship. Okay. And then I went back the following summer to lead their, help lead their summer internship program. Okay. And ended up moving to Springfield. Okay. So how did that shift? Now, was there a passion for Africa initially? Oh yeah. When I got to Swaziland and especially Kenya, I just immediately felt at home. Like, I don't, I don't know why or what it was, Mm. but, um, yeah, it just, it just immediately felt like home. Um, so I thought, okay, yeah, I'm coming back to Kenya, (laughs) you know, um, but that's not what the Lord had in mind. So what took you from there to where you are now? How did you get, end up in Thailand? Um, so the fall of 2012, uh, we went to Thailand with Convoy of Hope. Okay. And um, when we got there, we walk out of the airport and nobody's rushing to sell us anything. 
there's McDonald's, Starbucks, <laughs> malls, restaurants, air conditioning. And I my, was like, God, kind of place I got, I really got angry <laughs> with the Lord. Yeah. I was like, no, I was like, why are we here? Mm. Like, I don't want to be here. Mm. And, um, in my wisdom, I started reminding the Lord, like, what about those widows in Tanzania? You know, oh. what about those kids that were rescued out of sex trafficking in the Philippines? What mm. about these people I met that don't have electricity or running water? Like, what are we doing here in Thailand? Um, and not that Thailand doesn't have poverty, but where I was at the time, there, there wasn't. Well, and, and so you um, were used to dealing in, in situations with poverty, uh, impoverished yes. people, Philippines, Mexico, and then there in Africa. Like Haiti, Honduras, yeah. Third world countries where you mm -hmm. were, and especially with Convoy of Hope, going there and providing for their essential needs. I love that they're partnering with people, local businesses. That's awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then you go to Thailand and it's not, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty yeah. built up. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was really frustrated. Mm -hmm. um, and then God graciously showed me the spiritual poverty that I was overlooking because of the lack of physical poverty. And he's like, all those people that you met, because we partnered with the local church, he goes, those people know me or they have access to me, but these mm. people, they don't know me. And that's yeah. when I realized that, you know, you can be hungry and know Jesus as the bread of life. Absolutely. You can be thirsty and know Jesus as living water. But if you have clothes and food and shelter, but you don't know Jesus, you're impoverished and in desperate need. And um, it just totally shifted my heart and Mm. 80, 88% of Thailand has, has never heard the gospel. Wow. How is that possible? It's so developed. I mean, so many, it's a huge tourist place and yet 88%, how many people live there? I want to say it's about like 70 million around that. Yeah. That's just crazy. Yeah. And, and Christianity was brought into Thailand, uh, going on 200 years ago. So Christianity has only been there for the last 200 years uh, that we know of. Yeah. Wow. I think it's like 190 years, something it's going on 200. Yeah. Wow. And the King, uh, the King at that time, he, he said, what you do is good. What you believe is foolish. About and he essentially challenged, yeah, he essentially challenged the Lord and like, go ahead, bring, bring your, your God, bring your Christianity. And, um, and to this day, there's 95% Buddhist. I, I know that this is true. And I'm sure you've, you, um, you can add a lot uh, of, of context to this, but I, I know that it has been a challenge in some Asian countries uh, to bring Christianity in um like in china it was difficult for a long time because china is a very hierarchical um mm -hmm. culture where if the elites are christian then it would filter down to the masses but because christianity is such a uh, a grassroots kind of everybody is and even especially pentecostalism everybody is invited to be a part and it starts mm -hmm. at really the ground floor that it can have trouble filtering up and then people can have trouble accepting it if their elites the people in government or high office don't um don't accept it i don't know if the same is true in thailand but it is such a it is such a wealthy country right i mean it's it's 
And so some people are wealthy. So so you've got like a 1% and a 99% uh, type of thing there where you've got, or do you have a middle class? From what I understand, there's not much of a middle class. Okay. Um, But yeah, I can't speak to other uh, Asian countries, but for Thailand, you know, to be Thai is to be Buddhist. And and so Buddhism is very intertwined into the culture. And Mm. so it's like, if if I'm a Christian, what does that mean as a Thai person? Yeah. You know, like, and statistically, it takes seven years for a Buddhist to fully convert to Christianity. Wow. Yeah. So how I mean, the Lord can make it faster than that. Sure, sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long time. So how, how long have you been there at this point? Um, Seven. Well, my first time there was in in 2012, but I've been a missionary to Thailand for the last uh, seven, almost eight years now. And have you seen, has it taken this long to see any type of fruit? And I, and I mean that in a very um, open way as far as, because fruit can mean anything, any movement towards Christ. It, it doesn't necessarily result in uh, conversion after conversion, but has it taken that long in, in your relationships there to build relationships, to see movement towards Christ? Yeah, it's very slow. Um, especially, you know, as a foreigner, tourists make it hard to build genuine relationship with the locals, right? Because you're, they, you automatically are certain kind of ways, you know, so you have to live out how you're different. Mm. Um, and that just takes time, you know, it takes a lot of time, right? But we are starting to see fruit. The community center where I work has been there, I want to say 11 years wow and and we've got a good you know 10 believers or so wow I mean that's that's awesome Mm -hmm. and the sowing of 11 years of of ministry it really does give you credibility right in your relationships Mm -hmm. with the people there and then to see people even though that growth is so slow it Mm -hmm. movement is happening I just couldn't ignore the burden Mm. for the people of thailand that that the lord was just putting in my heart what did you see what was what was stirring in you what was he allowing you to see um buddhism is evil Mm. (laughs) it's not as peaceful as westerners believe that it is or want to believe that it is Mm. there's a lot of um demonic worship demonic Mm. possession Um, you know, and it's, and, and even as far as like karma and merit making, it's, it's a burden on, on the people to atone for their own wrongs, but they never know, like, did I pray enough? Did I burn enough incense? Did I give enough to the temple? Like, you never know if if it's enough, you know, and and essentially Buddhists, their ultimate goal is to become nothing. And, um. And it just, that you can't have peace of mind, you know, when, when you um, have to figure out how to fix what is broken in yourself, you know, only Jesus can do that. And the more like I'll visit temples just to um, remember why I'm there, you know, because sometimes it gets easy, like, oh, these people like life's fine, you know, so I'll go to, to a temple at least once a month to remember like, 
okay, yeah, this is why I'm here. Like, I can't let my guard down. I can't, um, you know, back down from what I'm doing. I can't just take it easy. Um, that, that description but, just yeah. gives me this image of people just in such a state of spiritual depression, like just weighed down with this, as yes. you described it, they never know if what they're doing is enough. Did I, did I, mm -hmm. you know, building up their karma, their good karma to get out of the mm -hmm. reincarnation cycle? Did I do enough right. this time? Am I, did I counteract today what I did right. bad yesterday? Did I do enough mm -hmm. to counteract? I can't imagine. I would go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And even like any kind of emotion is considered suffering, like hope, mm. love, you know, those are considered suffering and you want to rid yourself of all suffering, you right. know, and, um, and how do you not love, and, you know, we're, I know we're created in the image of God and he has all of these emotions, you know, right. like they aren't wrong. Right. And so to try to rid yourself of the very image of God, it just, it's not good, no. you know, and a lot of people are, um, drugs, alcohol, there's, there's ways they're trying to numb this, mm. you know, but only Jesus can alleviate that. So they're in such emotional pain that, that even there, while they're trying to do all these good things, they're using, uh, thing, uh, other things, stimulants and, and other addictive things to try to, to try to numb the pain. You know, that, that Buddhist idea of, um, that suffering is, is brings on, um, karma. It, it's really about, or, or rather, sorry, that emotions are part of suffering and you want to rid yourself of suffering. It's with its, this idea that, um, this world Buddhists believe that this world, um, we should not attach ourselves to this world or to the people of this world, that it's constantly in flux. That's, it's really not real. Uh, you know, think the matrix and that if we become too attached emotionally, whether negatively or, or positively, we become attached to this world. And the more attached we are to this world, the more we can't disconnect. And the goal of nirvana means to extinguish and so the mm -hmm. goal of that nirvana and getting out of that cycle is to extinguish all desires and i don't think that is what westerners i think you're right westerners and especially americans don't understand that the goal of buddhism is that nothingness is the extinguish of all desire and any desire that keeps me a love care compassion mm -hmm. keeps me tethered to this i mean i can't again how does it feel when you're over there? Do you feel that heaviness? Do you feel that, that, I don't know, another way to say it other than depression, do you feel it? Is it that thick over there? Oh, yes, very, very much. And um, I don't know, like, because I've been there for so long, I can feel it more now that I'm better understanding. Um, but it's heavy. It's yeah. really heavy. Um, my first term there, I want to say it was maybe the third month I was so spiritually attacked. I was like, I'm done. I'm out of here. Wow. And, um, I was just crying my face on the floor. Like, God, I don't know. Like I was being like, Satan was just coming at me hard. Mm. And, uh, and God was like, just let me be enough for you. Mm. And I turned everything off 
for about three days and just really pressed into the Lord. Like he had to be enough for me, you know, and he's what gets me through each day. Um, a few years ago, a friend of mine brought a team to Thailand and I took them to a temple and just a couple of days before we went there, somebody at the temple had won the lottery. So everybody was flooding to this temple to try to win the lot. Like the lottery is the way out. Wow. It's not, you know, like, let me get an education or let me work hard or you got to win the lottery. Wow. Um, but I could seeing their desperation, their prayers. Wow. Like I started crying and you don't really cry in public in Thailand and like, you don't show emotion. So that happens. Like I pass by that temple every day on my way to work. And so, and that's just one temple, you know? Um, so yeah, it's very, very heavy, very wow. heavy. So several years ago, when you were, you were home uh, here in the States, you were itinerating and it was taking longer to get, to get back to Thailand. So there, you eventually you said you took you a couple of months to really just feel the burden for that place. You were there and then you uh, came home to become uh, apply for like a, was it full missionary status? Is that? Uh, yeah. Career, okay. career, okay, missionary. career. So mm -hmm. what was that, that journey like for those, how long were you here before you went back? Was it a year or two years? Uh, well, I did a two-year term as an MA and then I came back and it was two years and four months. Um, <laughs> Three days and five hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was almost two and a half years and it was just about a year and a half longer than I anticipated. Wow. Uh, there was a couple of things. I didn't know how much was involved in going from MA to career. Sure. And then at that time I had to help take care of my grandparents and That's we moved right. my grandma into a home and um, there's just a lot going on sure. in my family. Um, so yeah, it was, it was tough, but it's like the providence of God was still evident. Yes. Right. Right. So you went back right before the pandemic. Um, yes. right. I think it was 2019. Mm -hmm. What was that like? being there in the midst of the pandemic, how did I, I, you know, how was it there during the pandemic? Was it, was it the same there as it was, you know, hearing what was going on here in the United States or what was that like for you to be there at that time? Uh, well, I got there September of 2019. So okay. just a few months before okay. it all right. happened, but the response to COVID there was very different than the response here. Um, some of that was because I don't understand Thai well enough to like watch the news. So I wasn't constantly bombarded with be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. Right. Um, we did have like, I want to say March or April, we did have like a six week lockdown. Okay. Um, and the AG told us like, try to only go out to get groceries, you know, just trying to figure out what this thing is. Yeah, but right. when I would go out, you wouldn't, everything was fine. Normal, just everybody going about their life. Like really, the grocery stores weren't crazy. We didn't run out of anything. Wait, it wasn't, so the six yeah, weeks, like, the six weeks that you were supposedly on lockdown, everybody was just mm, still out and about moving around or they didn't want more than 10 people meeting like these okay. kind of things sure. like that, you know? 
Um, but nobody else was really following those guidelines because I was hearing about like there's no toilet paper in America. Yeah, <laughs> like like some guy just toilet just, paper. Some guy just bought <laughs> you know? all of it and stocked <laughs> it up in his house. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just so bizarre. Um, and then we had probably another year before it really hit where I was. Okay. Um, but even then it never got as crazy okay. as it did here. So what, and if, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it again. <laughs> Sounds like it would have been better there. What was that like? So did it affect your ministry at all? Or did you have to make any adjustments? Yeah. Um, or maybe even in a positive way? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, as a single person living by myself, it did get, um, there were a lot of hard days, you know, yeah. fortunately they went by actually quickly, which I'm thankful for. Um, I would play like Nintendo switch with my nieces and nephews, or <laughs> you know, like watch Netflix series or whatever, you know, to pass the time. But sure. there were some days where I'm like, God, if I'm going to be like, at home by myself in Thailand, I'd rather be at home with my family, Yeah, you know, cause I was missing, uh, adoptions and funerals and birthdays, you know, like there was a lot that I wasn't a part of just everyday memories, you know? And I was like, why am I still here? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and our ministry at the community center, we had 25 to 30 kids and it went down to four. Wow. And I was like, dude, what is happening? You know, because fear, fear dictates the people of Thailand. Hmm. Uh, very, very much, even outside of uh, the pandemic, you know, fear, fear drives right. them. Right. Um, but once I took a step back and like, God, you, I'm not accidentally here at this time. Hmm. Like he knew well ahead of time that that was going to happen while I was there, you know? Um, so I'm like, okay, so what, what is it you're wanting me to do here? And he showed me that we can be more intentional with those four. They're um, 14 year old teenagers, three or four uh, teenagers there. And we could just be intentional with them and discipling them. And so we got them uh, and we found out randomly enough that people were scared to send their kids to us, but they were totally cool if we went to like their house. Oh, Um, so we started, we picked three different areas of the village and started doing community outreach. And then yeah. these teenagers, they were taking turns doing the Bible story, leading worship, awesome. playing games. Yeah. And all of this is their peers, like kids that they go to school with. And so I was like, dude, this is like, this is awesome. Yeah. You know, and we couldn't have done that or I couldn't have, have done that if, if I didn't just take a step back and like, God, you knew I was going to be here. Like, yeah. what is your plan? Right. And and to just trust that, you know, and kind of stop feeling sorry for myself. Mm. Um, so the Lord just really made the most of that time. That's awesome. I love that. Mm. So describe yeah. a little bit more about the ministry work that you do there. It's a community center. And is it, um, are you there doing like ESL or is it an actual place where they come like English as a second language? Or is it a place where they actually come to be? disciple that these are uh it's children right or children or youth that have come to know the lord what mm-hmm. is what is the center there what it, what do they do um it's an after school community center okay and we are open to kids from 5 to 18 so whoever wants to come can come um 
for most of these kids, English is their third language because they have their tribal language and then they learn Thai at school and then we teach them English. Okay. Um, so yeah. And then we do, we have Bible study one day and then we have on Saturdays, like a, like a kid's program, you know, okay. where they, uh, cause there's some kids that go to a different school during the week, so they can't come during the week, but they can okay. make it on Saturdays. Got it. So it's more op- like more kids can come on Saturday. Yeah. So that's, it's like a two hour program with Bible stories, games and, and things like that. Uh, uh, yeah. So it, it's just a way to, you know, build relationship with the kids yeah. and, and to be more like a, a consistent presence in, in that community. Yeah. So you're, you're back here itinerating, which is, you know, for non, non what missionary people or people who not, have not been in church, it means literally raising support again to go back right and uh to get back to back back to your home so to speak um and i'd love to get the the contact information and and put it um i'll put it here in the in the link uh so that people can can reach out if they feel led to to support you to support your ministry and and what you're doing um is it, are you now at a place where you're, you're here in the States for two years, itinerating, raising money, and then going back for what, four years? Or what is the process? Yeah, I'm actually, I got back in August, and I'm aiming to get back in July. Oh, so I'm so- hoping it's less than a year. Okay. Is is that, yeah, but it just kind of depends when all the funds come is in. Is that normal? I think in my mind, it was always like four and two, but is it really just depend upon when you have the funds and you can go? Yeah, they since since I've been doing it, they they try to encourage you to try to do it within a year. Oh, that's great! So you could potentially be back yeah. in July, and then I'll go back for four years. Okay, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you see yeah. as as for you, either personally or in the ministry? Of, uh, I know you mentioned uh, the Buddhist kind of stronghold that's there. What are some other challenges that um, that you face while you're over there? What I guess, what are some things that people can be when they think of you can be praying about um, for you as you're, as you're dealing with this stuff head on over there? Um, well, definitely like spiritual protection, you know, over my mm. mind, uh, my heart, you know, um, I don't want to give Satan any more power than he he deserves, but he doesn't like that we're there, no. you know, right. Um, I call Thailand Satan's playground. He, he has full reign. Um, so definitely prayer for just protection. Um, but also relationships. It's Mm -hmm. really hard. Um, my Thai is not what it should be. I speak maybe like a Mm -hmm. (laughs) two-year-old. Um, so it's hard to build relationships with, with Thai people, with the people of Thailand, but also to have just another, like a Westerner friend, you know, yeah. um, cause the yeah. people of Thailand aren't going to understand what it's like for me to be living in another culture. Right. You know? Um, so yeah, just to find people to connect with. Yeah. For relationships um, there. Yeah. And yeah. just be open to how God wants to work. You know, like I have ideas and dreams and stuff, but I don't want to do anything just because that's what I want to do. Right. You know, it, it's however the Lord wants to, to work that out. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for, 
for taking some time to share all of that. Your again, your passion um, for the ministry that you're doing is so just evident, and I love. That's not the only thing you can do, by the way, the, you know, obeying Christ, but I love that, that in that simplicity, that there is that, that, which, which is what Christ calls us to that childlike trust and, and the faith, you know, like a child. And I, that he has protected you, kept you provided for you miraculously Mm -hmm. because you've just consistently said yes. And you just keep saying yes. And um, it's really such a, a really cool spirit and, um, and there is such a great need there. And I, I know other people who've been to, been to Thailand as well. And I know their heart is, is for that, but God has uniquely placed you with your talents and gifts to be there and ministering to those people. And so, mm-hmm. um, I love that. I love that you shared that with me and, uh, uh all of those listening, I appreciate you. I'm thankful that you invited me on here. You know, I'm always, always um, up for talking about Thailand, you know, and, and, you know, what God's doing over there and invite people to be a part of it, whether it's through prayer or coming out and joining me or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you once again for being on and uh, we'll have the contact information um, uh, for anybody who wants to to um, to connect with you, contact you, support you, pray for you. We'll have that uh, available to them. Well, this has been the Nefesh podcast, and I am so glad that you have been a part of this, joined, hopefully uh, felt a stirring in your own heart for what God is doing in your life and how God is using you and uh, a reminder that that God is continually changing, transforming at work in our hearts and our lives as we continue to trust Him. And it doesn't matter how old, how young we are as we trust, He continues to do amazing things. And uh, thanks for listening and we will talk to you next time.